Hello and welcome to episode 103 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I am one of the co-founders here at ETR. As always, I am joined by fellow co-founder Evan Silva. This is an unscheduled podcast. This is an emergency podcast, if you will. A lot has happened this week. We know you have drafts this weekend. Didn't want to leave you guys in the dark because we love you. We appreciate you. Evan, what's going on? What's up, man? We are uh, heading straight in the collision course for NFL cuts. It's going to be a wild, wild weekend. There are going to be lots of rankings changes over the weekend in reaction to the moves. And then we will have a waiver wire pickups. I'm expecting a lot of uh, trades, maybe not necessarily big time trades, but trades that can affect depth charts. And uh, so stay tuned with Establish the Run. Uh, keep refreshing that change log because that's what I'm going to be doing all weekend. Yeah, exactly. And so we have drafts coming up still. I have a draft on Monday night. I have a draft on Tuesday night. At the same time, we have the first showdown slate of the season on Thursday. We have the first main slate of the season on Sunday. On today's pod, we're going to talk about Laren Fournette signing with the Bucks. We're going to talk about all the latest news, all the latest rankings changes. Final reminder, I assume most of you listening to this already have the draft kit by now. I would hope so. You already have Silva's top 150, all the continuously updating rankings, the change log, all that to take to your draft. But many of you do not have the in-season package yet. Include Silva's matchups, all my DFS content. We've added projections, all of our shows, a lot more. If you want to upgrade from draft kit only to in-season, shoot us a note, support at establishtherun.com, and we'll get you squared away. Again, if you only have the draft kit, you want to get in-season, shoot us a note, support at establishtherun.com. We will get you squared away at the right price. Okay. Yeah, and by the way, um, I'm about 95% done with that the the, the uh, write up for Chiefs Texans, um, and oh, that's that's a fun game to to write up. That's going to be an awesome awesome way to open the season. Last year, those teams played two games. The first played to like a 54 point total, and the second one played to an 82 point total. Uh, so, oh, man, I'm ready. My body is ready. As long as Will Fuller doesn't pop a hamstring during that game. Oh, don't even then, talk about it. <laughs> then I'll consider it a win. Yeah. Um, okay. Big news comes out. This was late on Wednesday night. I was thinking, well, man, I hope Larry Fournette doesn't sign with the Chiefs. But the only other place where I was like, man, Larry Fournette can still be a win. I don't think he'll be a win in the third round, but maybe he can be a win for people later on and not and salvage something would be the Bucks. Those are really the only two spots where I thought, that it could happen. So Leonard Fournette signs with the Bucks. Let me say this first, Evan. I believe nothing that Bruce Arian says. It's like irrelevant. And I really do think it's like a scale, a soft scale that we have from doing this for so long. It's super valuable to know which coaches shoot straight in the media about player usage and which ones do not. Bruce Arians does not. So when he says, Rojo's still our guy, uh, I'm still going to, Rojo, it's his job to lose and all that. I, you know, I don't believe Bruce Arians at all. Second, let's talk about roles. Here's what I'm thinking. Ronald Jones starts the season as the 1A, but Lenny pretty quickly moves ahead of him and settles in kind of a 60-40 split, maybe 65-35 split over Ronald Jones on early downs. I'm not sure they'll use a designated goal line back, but we'll see on that. And then on pass downs, I think it'll be one of Dari Gunawable or LaShawn McCoy, whichever one makes the team, and then Lenny will mix in behind them, maybe. I mean, I'm not sure exactly. Lenny's no great pass protector either. So look, I think this Fournette situation comes down to do you think he comes in and just ices Ronald Jones before September is over completely? I think that's in the range of outcomes, but probably not the likeliest outcome. So for me, I'd be passing on Leonard Fournette in rounds four and round five for sure. And I'd personally 
probably pass in round six as well. But I understand there's a wide range of outcomes here. We push, pushed an article live on the site because there was some disagreement between all of us and you got all of our opinions on there. Evan made his opinion known in his top 150. Tell the people what you think about Leonard Fournette to the Bucks and the fallout, Evan. Well, my general stance on this backfield from day one has always been that Tom Brady is going to make the, determ- the, the determination as to who is in the backfield alongside him, not the people that win the arguments on Twitter, not the people that win, you know, not, the, the takes don't matter here. Tom Brady is going to dictate who is playing alongside him in the backfield. And, um, and, and you know, Ronald Jones has never really seemed like the kind of back that Tom Brady would just be like, oh, yeah, I, I want him in the backfield with me at all times. Um, with So I'll, I'll just bring this up. So Mike Clay is one of the best, you know, prognosticators statistically uh, in all of, you know, the, the fantasy universe. And he came out with his projections today. And these are mean projections. He's not really even taking like a hard stance on anybody. He has to take somewhat of a stance. But these are, you know, mean meat. This is mean median stuff. And he had uh, Leonard Fournette as RB32. So that would be like a, a seventh, eighth round pick um, where I slotted him in. And we, we had him uh, in RB22 to RB24 range, just kind of bouncing around there pretty much all offseason. Some people were up on him in like, you know, RB13. Some people even had him in like the top 10. Uh, but we were RB22 through RB24. And we moved, when he got cut, we moved him to RB32. And then I moved him to RB23 last night after the Buccaneers signed him. As you mentioned, the Buccaneers are, were one of the best landing spots. I think he's got big-time touchdown upside. Ronald Jones, I mean, wasn't a fan of him coming out of college. He really hasn't given me any reason to change that stance. And he struggles in the areas of the game that really matter most for a running back, which is receiving and uh, pass protection to be able to play in the passing game. Um, Leonard Fournette is, although he's not perfect in either of those areas, I think he's definitely better than Ronald Jones in those areas. And I think that that will eventually bubble to the top. Um, The Buccaneers, so one of the reasons that we didn't like Leonard Fournette in Jacksonville is because they projected for a ton of uh, negative game script and they had added – you know, Chris Thompson to t- pull away a lot of the targets. And it just, it wasn't a good situation for him. Uh, now he goes to a team that I think is going to, that might field a top five defense, maybe a top three defense. I mean, they were, the Buccaneers defense would, just got better progressively in the first year under Todd Bowles last year. They've got a young, really promising secondary. They've got two of the most athletic linebackers in the league in Devin Smith and Levante David. They are loaded up front with size on the interior and uh, speed uh, on, on the out, in the outside pass rush and guys that have proven that they can rack up a ton of sacks, Pierre Paul and um, uh, uh, Shaq Barrett in particular. So I think that this defense is going to be one of the best in the league, and that is going to lead to more positive games. And they're not going to be turning the ball over this season. So they're going to have a lot of uh, favorable field position situations, and that is good for a running back. And I just – I don't view Ronald Jones as, you know, a really big hurdle. I, I do think that he's going to – we're not going to be able to use Leonard Fournette in week one. It's not a great matchup for Ronald Jones either in week one against the Saints. And then you have to worry about both of them. How many passes are they going to catch? Because, you know, Drew Ro- Rosenhaus sent out a mass text today. He reps uh, LaShawn McCoy 
And he's like, you know, we have word from the Buccaneers that they're not going to be cutting LeSean McCoy, that he's going to be playing in the passing game. Dari Ogunbowale, who I do think will make the team, at least for his special teams value, also uh, has, you know, experience as like a, a third down slash passing game back. So um, it's, it's going to come down to touchdowns, I think, for Leonard Fournette. Uh, but he is in a way better situation to score touchdowns this year uh, in, or in Tampa Bay than he was in Jacksonville. Yeah. To get down to it here, you have Leonard Fournette above Raheem Mostert, above Kareem Hunt, above Le'Veon Bell, above DeAndre Swift, above J.K. Dobbins. Um, I think that you'll – it depends on the league, man. There's a, when news breaks this late in drafts, if you still have a draft to go, I could see somebody taking him in the third round. I could see him, someone taking him in the fourth round. And to me, that's pretty crazy. Like I said, fifth or sixth round, I think I'm more okay with it. But I'd rather, if I can get DeAndre Swift or J.K. Dobbins or Kareem Hunt in the sixth or seventh, I would prefer that. And yeah, you know, it's interesting on Leonard Fournette. I agree with everything you said. I want to make one thing clear because people are going to say, Evan said that Leonard Fournette's not good. Adam, Adam said uh, Leonard Fournette uh, sucks. To be clear, in 2019, we were high, way higher than market on Leonard Fournette. Like any season long draft, we were talking, we had Leonard Fournette. I had Leonard Fournette all my season. Yeah, we, were drafting the, we were drafting the crap out of him. Oh you my know, God. Third question. round, it was like automatic. It's the, more about the situation. And so, yeah, we bust balls about Leonard Fournette not being good at the running back position. What correlates to fantasy points the most is going to be opportunity and explosive offenses. And so Leonard Fournette is going to have that. I still have my skeptics about his actual Opportunity, I think Evan sounds a little bit higher that he'll ice Ronald Jones, but wide, wide, wide range of outcomes there on Leonard Fournette. All right, let's get to the Alvin Kamara situation. And this situation was kind of, you know, this is people, I think, kind of making a bigger deal out of something than it is. Four-year, $50 million deal on the table from Alvin Kamara, from the Saints to Alvin Kamara. I think that's fair for Alvin Kamara, given the running back uh, market. Of course, Alvin Kamara's agents, it's their job to try to get more, you know? So the Saints say, look, you know, you couldn't get a better deal even if we trade you. See, we can prove it. So then it turns into a media mess. They were just trying to prove that they couldn't get more. They say, oh, we'll trade uh, Alvin Kamara for a first-round pick. No one's going to trade for a running back, give up a first-round pick, and then pay him $14 million a year. It's just not happening. So Alvin Kamara will almost certainly be on the Saints come week one. He's just so valuable to Drew Brees in that kind of short area option route kind of game. I mean, this team gave freaking Taysom Hill $21 million over two years. They're like, they're not going to give up on Alvin Kamara when this is Drew Brees' swan song. So I am very confident that Alvin Kamara will be on the field come week one. I think you are too, as you left him as the number four overall pick. In half PPR and non-PPR, I would still would consider Derrick Henry over Alvin Kamara, but I'm not worried about Alvin Kamara's contract situation. We also have this epidural news. Anyways, lots to swallow on Alvin Kamara. You did not move him. Tell the people why. Yeah, I mean, the... The, the news of the epidural is really what sent, sent some people into a, a tailspin. I mean, and I, I, I've never moved someone in my fantasy rankings over having an epidural. Um, there are two types of epidural. I mean, obviously, I put like, you know, I, I've researched this at this point. There are two types of epidurals. One is like would be a significant concern, concern but it sounds like the one that Alvin Kamara had was one that's like, not a big deal at all. It was just to treat some inflammation. Also, news of that emanated during this 24-hour period where it sounded like things got real ugly between the Saints. Actually, they certainly got real ugly between the Saints and Alvin Kamara, and there, there becomes a lot of posturing through the media. You know, all of a sudden there's a report, oh, the Saints are willing to trade Alvin Kamara. Oh, you know, Alvin Kamara had an epidural on his back. 
you know, and, and all of this kind of emanated during this, this swift, like 24 hour period. And it just, it, it was, you know, the, the side sort of, you know, like bantering through the media. And now, you know, Sean, and then Alvin Kamara comes back to practice. Everything kind of cools down. The Saints have a, a pretty good offer on the table to him. I, I think that everything's going to be fine. Maybe I'm being naive here, but I, I think that everything's going to be okay. Um, and as you said, you know, just, just zooming out and taking a, an irrational, pragmatic, you know, uh, vision on what is going on here, I think you're absolutely right that – I mean, the Saints aren't going to do this in, in, in Drew Brees, what is probably Drew Brees' final NFL season. Yep, for sure. Okay, this one flew under the radar, and I don't think that it should, but the Chiefs are talking up Daryl Williams in a big way. And there's been ESPN's Adam Tyker uh, left DeAndre Washington off his final roster. Nate Taylor, who covers the Chiefs for uh, The Athletic, did uh, keep uh, DeAndre Washington on the final roster, but said that Daryl Williams is clearly the back and he's going to play a ton. And so I think people are discounting how much Darrell Williams is going to play, especially early. You know, I saw some people say, man, CEH is going to have this massive workload in week one. Like, I think Darrell Williams might play 30, 35, 40% of the running back touches, snaps in week one against the Texans there. I think they like Darrell Williams as a pass protector. And you can make a case that Darrell Williams might profile better at the goal line. So I have been prioritizing Darrell Williams in drafts that I've done lately in the same spot where I used to be prioritizing DeAndre Washington, unfortunately, like I don't think it's crazy to take Darrell Williams in the 12th or 13th round. The people who have asked me, you know, in casual leagues, who will be the number one waiver pickup after week one, I could see it being Darrell Williams. What do you think about what's going on behind CEH right now? Yeah, so that is definitely um, the the Chiefs view Darrell Williams as their best pass protection back. Clyde Edwards Hilaire is 5'7, you know, 203, and Darrell Williams is is bigger. And they, they like him in that role. He's going to be like an interesting, I think, play on showdown slates in week one. I mean, he's bigger. Again, he's bigger than Clyde edwards Hilaire. It's not crazy. I think that he could be getting you know, goal line carries uh, against the Texans. I think that if Clyde edwards Hilaire to, were to go down, they would not lean exclusively on Darrell Williams, though. And then DeAndre Washington could come into the picture, assuming he makes the team. Or Darwin Thompson could come back into the picture. Uh, but we're going to, I think we're going to get some clarification this weekend because I think that one of these guys is probably going to get cut, not Daryl Williams, obviously. Um, or I don't, I don't think, I think that that's a long shot that he would, would have, he would get, it sounds like he has a legitimate week one role. I think one of these other guys might get cut though, and that will narrow down the backfield entering week one. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Oh, and, and, and we, we did move Daryl Williams ahead oh. of DeAndre Washington. Um, and I think that I, I probably should even move him up a little bit higher than where he is. I'm going to add that to my to-do list right now. Yeah. Yeah. I know. We get so many questions about when the rankings update. It says right in the headline, rankings are continuously updating. And Evans, top 150, he also puts the timestamp of when he made his last update. You can see what he changed in the change log as well. Speaking of running back contract news, Joe Mixon gets his extension, four years, $48 million. And, you know, I think that's a fair deal for Joe Mixon if if they use him in the pass game. Because if you don't use Joe Mixon in the pass game, I mean, last year, just 2.8 targets per game, the money is going to look like a lot of money for Joe Mixon. But still, he's locked up. I think that's a good thing uh, for Joe Mixon heading into the year. This Bengals offense has some serious, serious upgraded firepower. Reports on Joe Burrow uh, have been quite strong. So I think that Joe Mixon, if you're looking for safety in the back end of the first round, like Joe Mixon is safe, safe, safe pick. 
What do you think about the extension for Joe Mixon and how it affects where you'd rank him or take him late in the first round? Yeah, definitely increases confidence in Joe Mixon as being one of the safest. And no running back pick is really, I mean, dudes get injured. This is football, you know, so everything is relative when we talk about safe picks. But I think that he's one of the safest picks, relatively speaking, at the back end of the first round. We've been a little bit higher than market on him throughout the year. Uh, I got a lot of him in drafts in like June and July. I started backing off drafting because I was just getting so much of him. Um, but I feel better about those picks now. I mo- I ticked him up. I didn't move him, uh, you know, from a running back ranking standpoint. He's, he's been the RB9 like forever. But I did move him ahead of Michael Thomas and Devontae Adams in the, uh, in the overall. Um, that is still very much a personal preference thing. And, you know, you know, but in, in a, such a running back thirsty year and in a year where I really want to make sure that I come out of rounds one and two with at least one stud RB, uh, I think that that is the correct move to have him actually ahead of wide receiver one and wide receiver two. Yeah. And we've talked so much about positional scarcity and workhorse scarcity and everything. I don't think mm-hmm. we need to go back into that now, but that's going to come down to a lot of the decisions that you make between Joe Mixon types, Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams. Uh, okay. Patriots backfield. I'm kind of tired about talking this, but we had another twist and another turn. First, Sonny Michelle gets back in practice. Uh, well, first, Damian Harris emerges. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, gosh, well, now Sonny Michelle gets back early from his foot injury. He's been back practicing in full. And now we get news today, this morning, Thursday, that Damian Harris hurt his finger. He's in doubt for week one. And that's particularly scary in the pass game. And man, so, you know, these Damian Harris shares are certainly not looking as good as they looked before. Sony Michelle, you know, we haven't been, we've been way low on him all off season, but it's just looking like it's James White or bust in this backfield yep. to me right now. And I know Evan was on that early credit to him. I was a little bit skeptical on it, but yeah, it looks like James White's going to be the only one we can possibly think about using in week one right now, although we'll see if Damian Harris ends up active or not. Yep. I mean, just completely agree. I think that James White is just going to end up dominating snaps in this backfield. Uh, if they do, if the Patriots do do what they did with Tom Brady and what, what you know, with, with what worked with, for Cam Newton for the t- first 10 games of 2018, uh, then James White is going to play a ton, a ton of snaps uh, and be featured in the quick passing game. Uh, the Patriots cut Mohamed Sanu, who's another short area possession receiver. That sort of opens up areas of the field for James White. Um their receiver core is again not looking very, you know, very good. I mean, they're going to again have to lean on uh, Julian Edelman, who's a year older and has been limited throughout uh, training camp. I mean, I, I think he's fine, but uh, he's, he has been limited throughout training camp. Nikhil Harry, the reports every day are up and down on him, and um, yeah. So I, James White's going to be a huge part of this. This is this is a, this is going to be a James White year. Yeah, I mean. I think that one of the reasons the Patriots cut Muhammad Sanu, and they had to be embarrassed to do it after giving up a second round pick last year, but you can't play like Sanu, Nikhil Harry, and Julian Edelman, who all like win in kind of like the same areas. So they're going to probably play like Demir Bird as their third receiver just to like clear the field out and try to create some space. I don't know how that's going to go, but yeah, James rough, White. man. Yeah. He's rough. I mean, Dwayne, who, who works with us, Dwayne, um, you know, tweeted out the number two receiver this year is going to be James White. And, you know, maybe that's not so crazy of a take. Okay. Bad news on the injury front, man. Ian Thomas, turf toe. And Carolina's downplaying it. You know, uh, Carolina's saying this is not a severe case of turf toe for Ian Thomas. They expect him to be okay. But, man, turf toe square scares me. It can linger for so long with guys can sap their explosiveness. So, man, I would not 
they, Evan has moved or he already had, I'm not sure which, Ian Thomas at the back of that tier. And so Chris Herndon, Mike Jasicki, TJ Hawkinson, Hunter Henry, Noah Fant, Dallas Goddard, Blake Jarwin, like all those guys are available so late. Given this turf toe concern, it feels like there's no reason to really force Ian Thomas in that tier. I'm a little disappointed for DFS because Ian Thomas was only 3,400 in week one against the Raiders. But I think we're going to have some access to some other guys that we'll talk about next week from a DFS perspective of the cheap range of tight ends. But anyways, has Ian Thomas's turf toe injury affected how you feel about him in season long drafts? He's going late enough that I, I still think, I mean, I got him in the 15th round of um, uh, main event uh, FFPC with tight end premium uh, like I don't know, a week ago or something like that. And I mean, he's going late enough that I think he still makes sense there. It doesn't sound like a severe case of turf toe. I mean, you, you don't love to hear it, but I, I think that his ADP is low enough that he's still worth taking shots late. I mean, th- those guys, you know, guys that you draft like in the 15th round, like they end up, you know, if you're doing it right, like there's a roster churn with those guys. You hope that they're hits, but very often they're not. And you just use those, the, you know, those guys to, to roster churn and make waiver wire pickups and, and sub them out. But I, I, I still think, you know, based on his athleticism, based on his opportunity, based on the fact that he runs routes in the, in the short area of the field where Teddy Bridger, Bridgewater throws the ball best, 15th, 16th round, even with turf toe, um, I, I think still makes sense. Yeah, I think we'll know more about this injury based on what the Panthers do because right, right now, like Chris Manhurts is like, I mean, God, I mean, he can't catch the ball at all and he's like their only tight end, basically. If they add some type of pass catching tight end, we'll know they're more worried about Ian Thomas's turf toe. So we'll keep an eye on that. Jets situation. Brashad Perriman's knee thing doesn't sound great. I mean, it sounds like every time he practices, he gets swelling in his knee. And this is the kind of thing that can linger. He's had knee injuries before, obviously, if he can go. Denzel Mims did get back in practice. But even if Perriman can go, I expect their starting three wide set in week one to be Perriman, who's somewhat hobbled, and Chris Hogan on the outside. Jamison Crowder in the slot. Denzel Mims, we'll see if he's even active or if he plays um, kind of a limited role. But all this is adding up to me to be Chris Herndon season, to be Jamison Crowder season. I know we've talked about this a ton already. We'll talk more about Chris Herndon next week when we get into DFS stuff for sure. Not a great matchup against Buffalo. But anyways, Bashad Perriman, have you been moving Bashad Perriman down in the rankings with these knee issues? I already had him real low. I mean, you know, and for a guy who still projects to lead the Jets in air yards, um, you know, like wide receiver 50 range is just – I'm, I'm not going to move him. It, 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 it's not encouraging. And I would like to actually be way above market on him uh, in an ideal world because I think that he can play. But it, it is truly reminiscent of his rookie year when he suffered um, a PCL injury. And, you know, the, John, John Harbaugh would think he would be back and, you know, he was coming back and then he wouldn't be back. And then John Harbaugh, like, really got frustrated with it and – that was, you know, sort of the beginning of him becoming a bust in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. And the, the situation is like almost reminiscent of that now with the Jets. So, um, I mean, I, I still think that he is the favorite to lead the Jets in air yards, but he's not someone that I'm looking to draft aggressively anymore. Okay. Another wide receiver on a questionable pass game who landed on, who is hurt is Tyrell Williams. And we talked about this previously when he said he was going to play through it. Now Tyrell Williams is on injured reserve going to miss the whole year. And the Brian Edwards hive is alive and well, Evan. I think Brian Edwards will likely start on the outside opposite Henry Ruggs with Hunter Renfro in the slot. And they also have Nelson Aguilar. They also have Zay Jones. So we'll see on that. 
But still, I mean, trying to get Derek Carr to support Brian Edwards, Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller, Jalen Richard, Lynn Bowden, and then also Josh Jacobs, you know, to also pay off a first round, early second round ADP. That's asking a lot of the Raiders offense, mm-hmm. which, as we've detailed, has a very, very difficult schedule. Have you moved uh, Brian Edwards up at all? Is Brian Edwards in the top 150? Mm-hmm. Are you interested at all in the fallout from Tyrell Williams landing on IR? Now, Edwards is like 160 right now. He's like really on the fringe of the top 150. Um, you know, I'd re- I'd like, uh, I think the final receiver in the top 150 right now is Preston Williams. And I'm not going to put Brian Edwards ahead of Preston Williams. I like Brian Edwards. You know, don't get me wrong. I think that the Brian Edwards hive has sort of, uh, sort of jumped the shark a little bit for all the reasons that you mentioned. I wanted to try to move up Henry Ruggs, but we're already like, way higher than consensus on him and it's hard to get him above like Marvin Jones and you know in 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 that in that range so um no I I didn't make any moves uh based off the uh, the Tyrell Williams but I I well I I initially did uh because just when word came out that he had the the you know the the labrum tear or whatever I made moves then but when he went on IR it was sort of almost like well I kind of expected that yeah Okay, finally, some good news, wide receiver injury. Debo Samuel, and I don't know how he's doing this from a Jones fracture, but he's supposed to practice next week ahead of week one. And they say they don't know if he's going to play week one, but that certainly bodes well for Debo Samuel coming back and playing week two, week three, sometime in September. And so I think there's been a big discount on Debo Samuel's ADP as he comes off this foot injury. I think um, some people, some leagues, if people are paying attention to the injury, you probably could have gotten him in like, I don't know, 12th or 13th round or something like that we don't have necessarily know what Brandon Ayuk is going to be at in week one with his hamstring injury but yeah good news on Debo Samuel have you been moving him up are you more likely to take Debo Samuel now than you were say a couple weeks ago because I think at least that makes some sense I I haven't moved him up and the recurrence of this injury this Jones fracture injury is 50 percent historically for wide receivers it has just absolutely crippled wide receiver seasons um it's not, I mean, I, that, that's nice if, if, he, if he's practicing ahead of week one, but uh, I, that, doesn't, that doesn't mean that he's going to play in week one. What is his conditioning really going to be like? Um, I mean, you know, pe- people can take him, but it's, it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a little high risk for me. Yeah, and I think we'll see. You need to play your draft with how the market um, reacts. Mm-hmm. If they think that he's fine and he starts going in round seven, round eight, that's probably – way too early later flyers i'm more okay with it all right last story before we get out of here is josh gordon people are excited people love josh gordon i I love josh gordon too the number three wide receiver role however on seattle is not a very high usage role Mm -hmm. last year he played five games he only saw seven percent of the targets and that's already on a low volume pass game team we also don't know if josh gordon is going to be suspended to start the year i think that's certainly still possible so i Josh Gordon would still be a pass for me only in like the deepest, deepest, deepest of leagues. I don't know, 22, 24 rounds or something like that. Any reaction to the Josh Gordon signing with Seattle News? I think this was pretty expected. Yeah, no, I don't have a big, and I'm, I'm a big Josh Gordon fan, but it's not a good situation for him to be productive uh, in the box score behind, you know, clearly behind DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Um, he played what under 40% of the snaps when he was on uh, when he was on the Seahawks roster last year it, it I think it's an upgrade for the team I think it's a, a you know it, it could pay off for the team uh, in the third receiver role over Philip Dorsett 
Uh, but this is another team that, that can use tight end sets. I mean, they have like one of the deepest tight end depth charts in the league. They're going to run the ball a lot. Um, good, you know, potentially good real life signing and uh, it doesn't really move the needle in fantasy. All right. That is going to do it for what I expect to be. Uh, well, maybe we'll see what we can do early next week, but we start to get into regular season mode. So if this is the last uh, off-season podcast of the year, just wanted to say thank you to everybody who has tuned in throughout the off-season. Been incredibly fun building up this podcast and getting it uh, to where we want it to be. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as well. Hope you ch- choose to pick up the draft kit, pick up the in-season package. It is everything that we think you need to win and we've worked incredibly hard on it and we will be extremely busy for the next 17, 20 weeks doing it for you guys. Nothing more we'd like to do. Okay. Appreciate you all signing off for Evan, for Luke. I am Adam. Good luck, everybody. (laughs) 